0: Hi everyone, it's Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. Today I want to talk about something that I think a lot of small business owners dismiss early on, thinking that it's only for large companies, myself included. Let's get started and find out why this is a mistake and why we'd really need to focus on it. Do you have a small business that sells to other businesses? If so, you probably know that there are plenty of resources for companies that market to consumers or companies that sell to large and Fortune 500 type of companies. But what about the small businesses in the middle who sell to other companies? Where do we go to get answers? How do we grow our company consistently while still keeping our sanity? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who are willing to settle for just a nine-to-five job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe and welcome home. Okay, everyone. I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about the power of taking modeling to the next level and how this is one of the fastest roads to growth to grow your business. Today, I want to talk about a topic that I used to just roll my eyes at or laugh off when I heard companies talk about it. And that topic is culture in our companies. I mean, that doesn't sound too exciting. And if you're like me, it sounds like a lot of fluff. Hear me out though. I promise it'll be worth your time. First of all, let's define what we're talking about. I mean, what is culture? You know, I mean, if you get a dictionary type definition, you know, it says something like culture is the beliefs, behaviors, objects, and other characteristics shared by groups of people. My translation of that is basically that culture is just sort of a, the unwritten rules a group has for its members. You know, I mean, think about who you hang out with, socialize with, and that sort of thing. Your circle of, you know, people that you probably follow have some unwritten rules. You probably share similar values and beliefs, that sort of thing. You know, for example, a lot of people around my neighborhood like to cycle in groups on the weekends. You know, whether they're part of a formal or informal group, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but they all share some of the same culture. They all wear the same similar helmets, uh, similar clothing. uh, They all tend to be in good shape, uh, in the same body types and so on. You know, I'm sure if you talk to them, they have similar beliefs about exercise, the outdoors and things like that. And, you know, if you showed up to one of their biking sessions and you're wearing jeans instead of cyclist shorts and you're wearing a motorcycle helmet, you know, I mean, they're going to laugh you out of there and not accept you as part of the group. And, you know, maybe it's a ridiculous comparison, but I think about, you know, the conformity that all the people in the group are part of, you know, I mean, even if you were part of the group, but showing up dressed like that, you know, the others would probably not want you in the group and, you know, shun you I mean, because you broke some of the unwritten rules. Okay. So what does that have to do with business and our companies in general? Well, even though we as entrepreneurs sometimes don't spend time thinking about quote culture, it's alive and well in your company. And as soon as you add one employee. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably know I'm not a big fan of fluff and what I call corporate knees, you know, using big words to describe what you do, you know, something that some consultant thought of that sounds sophisticated. I like to talk in, talk in simple terms so that everyone knows exactly what we're talking about. I mean, in business, I'm not interested in sounding art educated, erudite, and sophisticated. And, you know, my opinion, all that's good for is impressing some of your PhD friends and maybe some a re- corporate recruiter. You know, if you look at some of the most intelligent people in history, they're the ones who could take complex topics and turn them into simple concepts with simple language that the average person understands. To me, this is what we should all be doing in business. So, I mean, that was kind of a little side rant, but, you know, it's one of my pet peeves, as I said, if you listened before. You know, but the reason I brought it up is that, you know, the same dislike for overcomplicating our communication in business through fancy language is some of the same reasons I discounted the importance of culture in our business uh, for a very long time. Sometimes when I hear large companies, you know, start talking about their culture, values, mission statements, and so on, you know, I tend to just tune them out and write it off as fluff. And I actually do believe that a lot of it is fluff. You know, at large companies, these things tend to be written by some consultant who's getting paid to come up with the fanciest, most politically correct statements they can, which really mean nothing to the average employee of the company or to the general public. I used to discount the, the concept of mission statements and culture stuff, thinking that You know, a small company doesn't need that kind of BS, you know, I mean, we're, we don't have the time to work on something, you know, that's just a bunch of fluff. We're looking at spending our time in things that actually make us money. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I realized I was, I was missing out on something big. You know, sometimes in life, you know, we discount a strategy because we equate it with the person or persons who are using it. And that's kind of what I did with my concept of culture, because a lot of large corporations did a poor job of creating culture. I took the whole concept of culture as a waste of time. However, I learned firsthand a few years ago how much, you know, effect that culture has on a company, big or small. You know, I mentioned one of this in one of my earlier podcasts, but a few years ago, we had an employee who was a real nice person and decent at their job, but they just didn't get along with the rest of the employees. I tried for almost a year to make peace between them and the rest of the company. You know, I set up meetings to mediate between the parties. I tried to create systems that would stop misunderstandings and so on. But basically everything I could think of, you know, to make it work. In the end, I realized that this person, regardless of their personal skill, was just not the right person for the job, not because of their skill set again, but because of their values, how they interacted with other people, their willingness to be part of the group, you know, and so on. You know, unfortunately, I kept this person around too long and it became a major problem in the company. The productivity of everyone dropped. uh, Employees stopped showing up earlier and staying late. People stopped caring about their jobs. And, you know, I found out later, even dreaded coming to work. I mean, that's not the dynamic you want for your team fortunately, you know, letting this person go and implementing some changes reversed this damage, but, you know, it took some time. After this, I I realized that why a person with the right skill set, the right competence, and even a nice personality didn't work with our company. It was culture. They didn't fit into the group. They butted heads with others in the group by not following the norms of how everyone else communicates and acts. I didn't see it until later, but they were constantly breaking the unwritten rules of the group. So why did this happen? I mean, this person wasn't a bad person. You know, I think, and strangely enough, they were actually well-liked from a personal standpoint. But I think the reason it didn't work is because the rest of the group had a set of unwritten rules and ways of doing things. And this new person never picked up on them or tried to work within those constraints, either consciously or subconsciously. I mean, it didn't matter. In retrospect, I feel kind of bad because it's kind of like inviting someone to play a game with a group of people, but then not telling them what the rules are or having them agree to the rules. I mean, how can you blame somebody if you never tell them the rules? And looking back over the years, you know, this has happened multiple times at our company, to varying degrees of damage to the company. And, you know, the main problem in looking back was, you know, not the culture of the company itself. It was that the culture wasn't intentional. I like to use the term intentional when it comes to culture. By that, I simply mean that it's thought out and it's on purpose. You know, as a company, we never sat down and thought about who we are as a company. What do we expect from everyone on the team? What's not tolerated and what is and so on. Again, if no one knows and you can't articulate what we as a group expect of each other, how can we expect others to not disappoint us? For example, you know, when I was a cadet at West Point, there was one major rule that all cadets abided by. And if I remember correctly, yeah, we literally even signed something uh, the first day when we agreed to it. Uh, And that was the cadet honor code. And I think it's still the same, but it simply states, you know, cadet will not lie, cheat nor steal nor tolerate those who do. That's a short but very intentional culture tenet. With that simple statement, everyone knew what was expected of them and what we had in common in our expectations. We took it very seriously. Uh, we took it very seriously as a violation would be immediate expulsion from the group. In this case, expulsion from the academy. So, what happens when there's no intentional culture? It's the same thing as when you aren't intentional on you know who you want your customers to be. For example, it's a crapshoot as to the results you get when it comes to employees. When a new one joins the team, the rest of the team hasn't intentionally thought about its unwritten rules. It's really a 50-50, you know, chance whether the person fits in or not. I mean, they may have all the skills and qualifications, but since they don't know the rules, there's a good chance that they won't fit in. And again, if they don't fit in, you know, that can cause major problems with morale, productivity, and you can even lose good team members who get fed up with it over time. So that's some of the consequences to to the lack of intent in building a culture in your company. But what's the flip side to that? What are the positives? I mean, number one in my mind is the increased bond and the trust that uh, intentional culture creates within your team of employees when everyone buys into the same set of unwritten rules about how they do their work how they communicate uh, with everyone else in their team they don't have to worry about whether the other person you know gets them so to speak they're able to trust each other much more because they care they share the same values when it comes to the company when they have that trust there's no departmental siloing and hoarding of knowledge that sort of thing people are open and willing to work each, with each other you know I, I bag on corporate america a lot but um, you know, they were all small business at one time, so I probably shouldn't do that. But another one of the things that corporate America wastes money on in, in my term uh, is, you know, quote, team building. You know, usually it's in the form of some kind of retreat where all of the employees go out to the woods or something and have to work on some kind of, you know, task of building, you know, what some structure or getting over obstacles or whatever. But, you know, in my mind, it's a total waste of money and uh, everyone's time. I mean, it might be fun and, you know, certainly get people to know each other and know their coworkers better outside of the office environment, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the actual culture of the company when it comes to work. If we want employees to work effectively together, given them the trust that you know, those around them believe in the same general values, that they treat each other the same way and are committed to a central team mission. That's what's going to create a team, not a three-day retreat in the woods. You know, besides synergy, trust, and the bonding that comes from an, intentional, or excuse me, an intentionally created culture, what else does it do? When it comes to expanding the team and bringing in new employees, this intentionally created culture is a huge part of the hiring process. If you find good employees that are not only competent and able to do the job, but also fit in and agree to the culture you've created, you know, they have a very high likelihood of being a good hire. And as we all know, hiring and onboarding new employees is one of the most frustrating, expensive, and unfortunately critical parts of owning a business. By having an intentional culture, we drastically increase the odds of a good hire. And finally, when it comes to culture, I think one of the biggest benefits of having an intentional culture is the morale boost and therefore the productivity increase from each employee. It's like anything in life. If you enjoy something, you're probably going to do better at it than if you hate it. If your team enjoys coming to work and doing their job and they feel like they're part of a team of people who get them, they're more likely to do a better job. Well, you know, so where does culture fit into that? Well, employees don't have to be friends outside of work. In fact, sometimes it's better that they aren't. But if they are, you know, a part of a group at work who all shares the same values and rules when it comes to work, It's likely that they'll almost have the same loyalty and respect that you find in, you know, an actual family. I mean, hopefully without a lot of the drama, but the point is they're likely to be apt to help each other out and work hard not to disappoint the group with their work. Because they feel part of the team, share the same understanding of what's acceptable in the group and what's not, they're likely to be a better version of themselves than if there are no expectations at all. I mean, if you want the best out of your team, one of the best ways is not to, you know, use your outstanding leadership and motivation. Getting them to be accountable to the group, far more powerful than a boss or even a leader for that matter. So, hopefully, you see the power of an intentional culture, but on a practical level, how do we implement this? You know, I mentioned that situation a few years ago with the employee and our lack of intentional culture causing a lot of damage. But well, the good that came out of it was that it forced me to get our company to intentionally create our company culture. You know, and, you know, as a random thought before I go further, you know, you may be thinking of this, that doesn't apply to your companies, you don't really have a culture. Well, I respectfully disagree. Just like people who say they don't use a script in sales, you know, that's not really true. I mean, we all have cultures in our company. The question is, are the rules and norms of the culture written down and have you intentionally created them? I and mean, that's what this is about. In our case, they weren't written down or thought out. But here's how we did it and how you can do it too in the same way or tweak it for your own company to make it fit. First, I sat down with a pen and paper and started with a list of things that I thought were important just off the top of my head. For instance, I thought, you know, We treat people with respect regardless of their role within the company. And I believe that everyone in the company from a receptionist to a high-level manager should be treated with respect. It really bothers me when people talk down to people because their position is lower on the economic ladder, you know, for salary or they're deemed less important somehow. So that was number one. And I think I went on and came up with, I think maybe it was like six or seven statements that I thought were important for our employees to believe in. I then had a meeting with my employees, explained to them that the importance of culture, much like I'm doing now, and how my lack of intentionality has caused problems in the past and what we were going to do about it. I started and read them my suggestions, and then we started throwing them up on a whiteboard. We brainstormed all the items that were important to people as it relates to working together, interacting with our clients, and what the current unwritten rules were in our company and the unwritten norms. Then we went one by one, narrowed it down to 12 statements, and then worked on and agreed to even the wording of each of them. After we were done, I asked everyone to take a copy of the list, go think about it for a couple of days and see if they had any changes that they thought they would make or if they didn't agree with everything, you know, with the rest of the group on something. Fortunately, there weren't a lot of changes and it was mostly minor wording. And that was the beginning of our intentional culture. Once we had these in writing, everyone had to agree with the list of statements and agree to conduct themselves in accordance with the list. I mean, one of the reasons I think larger businesses fail at this is, you know, the incul- intentional culture thing is that The culture is not being built by the group, but by the group's leaders, i.e., you know, executives with very little input from actual employees. I mean, admittedly, this is hard to do when you've got 50,000 employees versus five. But, you know, if you could at least do some kind of survey thing or throw it out for comments or whatever, you know, instead, it's usually issued by decree. You know, what happens is that no one pays attention to it or cares about it because they haven't been part of its creation and haven't taken ownership of it. That's one of the great advantages you and I have as small business owners. You know we have the ability to involve our team and our employees in the creation of growth in our company and things like culture that are so crucial to building a successful company. When people feel heard and feel like their input was taken into account, they'll buy into things and take ownership. So after we created this list, uh, I think ours ended up being 12 statements, we posted this around the office. Everyone was now aware of what's acceptable and wasn't in our group at the company. We started using this when we considered new hires. In the initial interview with candidates near the end of the interview, we actually handed them a copy of the list of our culture tenants. We told them, you know, please look this over and make sure you agree with all the following statements as that's what we believe in. You know, I mean, it's fine if you don't, you know, but you won't be happy at our company if we're not on the same page. And this helps screen out anyone with any hesitation about what's expected to be a member of the group. I mean, it sounds like overkill, but again, just as important as the job skills somebody brings to the company, their ability to fit into the group is paramount. You can do this in your company however you wish, you know, as long as it includes your team and lets them be part of the process of the intentional culture creation. Culture sounds like fluff, you know, as I said in the beginning, and I discounted it for many years, but it's really critical if you want to grow. And when I say culture, I mean, to grow, you need intentional culture that is thought out and has input from your team. We all have culture in our company. The question is, is it the culture you want? Do your employees know what it is? And do new hires know what to expect coming in? That's all I have for today. I hope you have an outstanding day and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform and give me your honest feedback. Also, I put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years owning a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com.